Good morning, everyone. Uh, glad to be with you guys again as you guys are continuing in um, this teaching of what it means for Christians to be living in exile. Uh, I'm going to be coming from Daniel uh, chapter 1 today. And so if you have um, your Bibles, I would ask for you to open that up and turn to Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read the passage. So it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs, gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Daniel's faithfulness. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord. I'm sorry, I fear the, my Lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the unit had assigned with over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. I want you guys to engage in a thought experiment with me. Um, imagine you're a child 
or an adolescent, maybe a preteen, um, and for the first decade or so of your life, you're growing up in a particular environment, particular context, with a particular culture, with a particular friend group, you're going to your school, um, you've learned a particular language, and just as you're understanding how the world is working, as you're beginning to build some identity of yourself, imagine your parents come to you and tell you, hey, we're moving, going to a different place, and maybe not even just a different city or state, maybe a different country altogether. Um, all of a sudden, you've got to relearn a new culture. You might have to learn a new language. Um, what you thought you understood about the world might radically have to shift. The friends that brought stability in your life are gone. And basically all you have at the beginning is you and your family. Um, a similar situation happened with the Israelites. Um, except that they didn't move by choice. They were forced out of what they understood and what they knew. And they were brought in and oppressed by the Babylonians. And they left what they understood and they were forced into a new culture. Forced to have to try to uh, adapt. And the culture itself, um, which was pagan, which did not worship Yahweh, attempted to force socio and politically what was foreign to how the Jews understood their God. And so understandably, any oppressed minority group, if they are uh, in a new land, they will be tempted to conform to their captor's way of life uh, in order to avoid persecution. It would just make sense. If you conform to the culture around you, then you will, things will go easier for you. If you resist the culture around you, the people who have power over you, then they can make life very difficult for you. Uh, but what we find in the book of Daniel is our historical accounts of God's people resisting the dominant ungodly culture. Uh, Daniel and the other exiles, while they lovingly served the Babylonians um, by force, who they by force they had become their neighbors, and so they loved their neighbors. Um, but even in that service, they remembered uh, their God-given identity, and they never adapted uh, the the Babylonian culture um, as their own, which would lead them to idol worship. And so, similarly, the New Testament written by Jews who understood their history, it draws on these exilic themes. Uh, it draws on the idea that Christians are themselves exiles in a world. And Babylon, Babylon for us is not some geopolitical location uh, with a people group oppressing us, but it is a worldly state of affairs. Um, the Bible talks about uh, this world being ruled by the prince and power of the air, air, Lucifer. Now, obviously, God rules over all and has Lucifer on a leash, but the worldly system right now is set up in its values against God. And this for us is Babylon. Our flesh 
wars against us to do what is right and entices us to submit to the culture around us, even though in many ways it's adverse to what God understands. And so Hebrews 11, 13, 16 uh, describes God's people as being strangers and exiles in the earth who await a God-given heavenly city, which is their true homeland. And so while we don't face a Babylonian captivity, we face, in many respects, um, we're forced to live in a world that is racked with death, disease, sinful rebellion. Um, we see many people spurning, mocking God. In many ways, this doesn't feel like home for us. And, and Hebrews anticipates that we await a new home uh, in which um, it's God ruled. And finally, the peace we've been longing for will be evident. And so, let's look at the text. Verse 3, it says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And what struck me about this text is that the king brought the most talented Jewish captives to serve him in his palace. In other words, he had his own ambition for them and he wanted to use their gifts and their abilities for his own personal benefit. And I think as we are living in exile in this world, we have to be careful because I think many people in the world want to use our gifts and our talents for their own selfish benefit. And I think we have to oftentimes watch uh, how we align ourselves, how we use our gifts, how we use our talents. Um, is it being used to glorify God and being used in line with his kingdom? Or is it being used in opposition to God, right? And so we see here that the king had his own selfish motives for extracting the most talented people from uh, the Jewish captives. But what's also interesting is, although the Jews were oppressed, they still chose to serve the king. We don't see any hint of rebellion or any sort of fighting or whatever. And you know, you might say, well, they were forced to, which is true, but they still, you know, if you read the book of Daniel, we saw DC very clearly. Daniel was a very hard worker. He worked very difficult, um, very um, steadfastly, and um, he worked under difficult circumstances, but he worked, and so did um, his friends. And they were put into very high positions, and they they used their skill for the benefit of others. And so I think we can draw from that as well, that oftentimes, even though we may find ourselves in a hostile world with people who are hostile towards our faith and our understanding, that's not an excuse for us to be hostile towards them. Because we are exiles in, a wor in our world, and this is our temporary home, we are to very much so treat it like a home. We are to take care of it. We are to care for the people here. Um, and in this way, we glorify God. This was an opportunity for the 
Jews in captivity to glorify God through their hard work, through their service, while at the same time keeping their hearts pure and making sure that they don't engage in anything that would not honor God. So they worked hard, but they didn't do things that when they were called to do certain things, if it was out of the character of God, they didn't engage. So moving on, it says the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that he ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years and of the, at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, Azariah, and the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the units gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael, these names. <laughs> Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And what I thought was interesting in this text is we see here very clearly that the king wished to completely assimilate his captors into Babylonian culture. Uh, he wished to erase their former identity and give them a new one. And I think it's so apropos because I think the world attempts to erase our identity. The world attempts to, we see, the Babylonian king wanted to give them a new name. He, he, he educated them in his wisdom, right? Um, his wisdom and his understanding. Uh, and he gave them food to, to drink and food to eat and drink. In other words, he wanted them to find sustenance in what he provided, right? And so there was a sense in which we, the king wanted them to forget their old life, forget what they knew, forget God's sustenance, and now choose instead to adopt Babylonian wisdom and understanding, <laughs> um, find their sustenance, their sustenance in what he provided, and to... Um, no longer rem remember their names of their own cultures, but to adapt new Babylonian names. It's complete brainwashing. Um, and I think as believers, we have to be cognizant of the fact that the world attempts to do the very same thing. It tries to change our identity from son and daughter in Christ mm -hmm. to something else. Um, people can sometimes even take an identity that they rightfully have and may even be good and exalt it to a place where it's above their understanding of who they are in Christ, right? Some people exalt the fact that they're an American over the fact that they're Christian or exalt the fact that they might be of a particular race over the fact that, that, that they're Christian, right? So there's all these different identities that we can have um, kind of calling to us to formulate how we understand ourselves. And that's all the world trying to get you to shift your understanding of who you are, which is ultimately in Christ, co-heirs with Christ, son and daughter of the Most High God, known by Him and under His authority um, and under His rulership and seeking to obey Him. And so I think, um, we have to be careful of the world's attempt to shift our identity. Moving on, uh, Daniel resolved in verse eight. I love that he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food 
or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And so Daniel, I love that word resolved. He was convinced. He, he was unmoved, unshaken, unswerved from the idea that he was going to remain committed to God. Um, so scholars debate why he didn't want to eat the king's food. Some say it was dietary reasons. Um, some say, you know, there were different different theories, but others, I think, I think it's very clear. I think he understood that to embrace the king's food was to uh, embrace the comfort that came with living in Babylon, and that was one step away from having his heart turned away from God. I love how one scholar, in his commentary, Dr. Daniel Atkin, put it. He says, Daniel and his friends were forced to be in Babylon, but they would not let Babylon get into them. <laughs> they made a conscious and determined decision to say no. Uh, so, in other words, um, Daniel was forced to live under Babylonian rule physically, but he would not let Babylon rule in his heart. And I think that's so key for us. As we live in a world where we might be... Uh, subjected to many things death disease tragedy racism oh the list goes on and on and on um the list goes on and on worldly philosophies different ways of understanding god that's contrary to our christian faith you might be educated in those things as these jewish individuals were but you don't necessarily have to let that rule in your heart you don't have to let that change your identity um, and so they would be in in Babylon but not of it just like scriptures say we are in the world but not of it but the question I want to pose to you how much have we let Babylon get into us have you resolved like Daniel to not get comfortable with the world or have have you allowed your biblical convictions to be compromised by the world is your comfort and security in your wealth, health, social status, education? Do you find yourself practicing sin rather than repenting and turning away from sin? If so, you allow Babylon to rule in your heart. And I think to a certain degree, we all fall victim of this, right? This is why scriptures talk about us having to renew. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about renewing your mind and that comes primarily through the scriptures unlearning the lies of the world learning the truth it comes in participating in Christian community having other people point out in your character or in your thinking what might still be worldly and not of God and so all of us to some extent have had Babylon <laughs> infiltrate our thinking in our minds because we're constantly being discipled by something right and so you can be discipled by scripture and his truth, or you can be discipled by worldly ideas. And for many of us, we spent a lifetime in the world. The good thing about this is that these Jewish individuals were raised in the truth, and so they knew how to reject 
the lies. Many of us were raised in the lies and just not coming to the truth. And so the unlearning might take some time, but you have to unlearn. Um, you have to figure out how Babylon has infiltrated your own mind and your own thinking and reject it. So in closing, I think that um, we have to recognize that um, we're never in a place of neutral and that we have to reflect on the ways in which um, we might be choosing instead of be sustained instead of us being sustained by God we're choosing to be sustained by the king and his delicacies and so just as Daniel resisted the king's food I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus was hungry and desperate in the wilderness and he refused the devil's bread and chose the food of his father which is the word of God and just as Daniel sacrificed uh, his own comfort and God sustained his body through vegetables, Jesus sacrificed his own comfort on the cross and God raised his body from the dead so that all who believe in him would be made to be free from slavery to Babylon and worldly idolatry. We pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we think about the truths of this text show us how we have fallen comfortable with Babylonian rule in our hearts and in our actions and I pray that you would cause us to repent and Lord live free as we anticipate a home which is ruled by you and everyone uh, acknowledges your rule and lives by your word, Lord. Um, help us to love the Babylonians, <laughs> figuratively speaking, that we come into contact with every day. Those who don't believe you or trust your word, help us to, to lovingly serve them while at the same time remaining pure and dignified. So we thank you for um, the wisdom and the knowledge that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray.